From hook and bullet to policy and science, we're here to discuss and dissect all matters of importance to Montana's rugged landscape and the people and wildlife that call it home. This is Montana Untamed. Montana's fishing industry is an economic juggernaut. Now accounting for one in five tourism dollars spent in the state and estimated at $750 million annually. Fishing is important both economically and culturally, with communities built up near popular rivers to cater to locals and visitors. We also know that during low water and high temperatures, fishing can stress trout. To protect the resource, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks will restrict or even prohibit fishing in areas. Some closures may last weeks or even months, and climate scientists predict that such conditions will only become more common in the future. With me today is Tom Kuglin of the Montana State News Bureau. Uh, he recently wrote about a new study that looks at the economic consequences of climate change on Montana's fishing industry. Tom, who did this study and how have anglers adapted to these closures? So the study was published um, pretty recently in the journal Science Advancement. It's authored by researchers from the U.S. Geological Survey, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and the University of Montana. Uh, basically, what the study looked at um, was how climate change, ha- climate change has affected habit habitat, excuse me, and uh, fishing practices on roughly 3,100 miles of the state's most popular rivers. Uh, They had basically surveys from 1983 to 2017 to base this on. Um, And then they, from that, took a look at with climate projections, how uh, whether trout habitat will continue to shrink or in the future, what warmer water and lower lower late summer flows will mean. Um, what they found is basically a major growth in fishing, which I think we probably all kind of knew was there, and, and we've talked about that before, uh, but it's it's really pronounced with non-resident growth in the industry, and uh, but it's also pretty resilient so far. So, um, you know, local anglers might say, well, I'm, not, I'm just not going to go fishing if my local river is closed, but um, non-residents are, uh, they're much more amenable to to traveling throughout the state to where there is an open river. Um, so that's at least keeping some of that spending within the state so far. So you mentioned uh, the growth in angler numbers and um, 1983 to 2017, those numbers aren't even going to reflect the huge spike in outdoor recreation we saw as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but within that 83 to 2017 window, you know, how, how much growth have we seen and where are we seeing um, the biggest growth? Yeah, I think that's a good point, Tom. Uh, so we could just touch on the pandemic really quick. We did see a big, big surge nationally in outdoor recreation. Um, and in particular, we saw a big surge in Montana residents in outdoor recreation. Um, so you definitely capture fishing in that. Um, you saw a lot of people that hadn't fished before, um, for a few years, but maybe had in their past, then picking it back up, um, because, you know, well, well, a lot of places or indoor events were canceled, you know, the outdoors was still wide open. Um, but, but back more to your question. So 
FWP would would send out these Angular surveys every year. Um, so basically, they're asking about like how many, where you went fishing, sort of how it was. Um, so from that, they 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 get what's called an Angler Day, and they're able to look at sort of which water bodies are are getting the most pressure um, and by who. Um, so as we can probably expect from you know the early '80s to the to 2017, um, you know there was a big um, increase in the number of, of anglers. Um, so it went from about 800,000 to 1.7 million. So more than doubled in that time span. Um, angler day is now, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you're talking angler days. Can you, can you help, help us understand, um, what those numbers mean? Yeah. So everybody who goes out and fishes on a stream on a day, it's considered an angler day. So, you know, 800,000 means uh, they were able through these surveys to document 800,000 anglers that went out and fished on a particular day. So that's kind of how they extrapolate that. Um, so yeah, so that doubled the 1.7 million. Uh, the resident angler days grew by 50% in that time period from 600,000 to 900,000 but non-resident angler days jumped from uh, about 280% overall. So you're talking from 200,000 to about 800,000. So, you know, they're really coming up on the number of residents and non-residents are really, really close now. Uh, but that was, as you could probably guess, that wasn't, you know, across the board, across every river mile. Uh, so you had this 280% figure for all the river sections in the study. But non-resident angling pressure jumped up to sixteen hundred percent on parts of the Blackfoot, Bitterroot, and Madison rivers. Wow, um, those are some pretty staggering increases. Um, gosh, it makes you wonder if uh, the uh, advances in in internet and you know national marketing um, have kind of driven people to places that. Uh, they hadn't really heard of before, but you said that non-resident anglers in particular will travel to other rivers. Uh, can you tell us a bit, uh, more about that? Yeah. So I think we know that, um, there are rivers out there that are chronically dewatered every summer and, uh, will always have issues with high temperature that we'll see what we call hoot owl, which means like you can't fish after 2 PM or outright, you know, closures of rivers. Um, so that means that rivers that maybe don't have that many issues with those sorts of conditions are going to see, are going to be natural places for, you know, both marketing, like you said, um, but also offer open stretches of water. So the upper Yellowstone, you know, that's, that's coming off the Yellowstone plateau. That's pretty cold water. It's a big river. Uh, but then also the dam controlled sections of the Madison river and the Missouri river. Are, are really the places where um, they're sort of seeing this, what, what I was calling a migration of, of, of uh, non-resident anglers. So, so what you're saying is, is these rivers are, that are, uh, have a particularly, um, have have a, a more abundance of cold water that aren't necessarily plagued with the the hot water issues like other rivers they're seeing the increase in anglers they're seeing the migration um 
Okay. So, so, so what, you know, what happens is it, it, like I said, it gets too hot and too low on rivers. They get closed down. Um, and what they're saying is that, you know, they already have a trip planned to Montana. Um, so they are, instead of saying, I'm not going to come here, they, they end up going someplace else. And this is where, um, the research shows that they're most keen in on is, is these three river stretches. Um, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, so, um, the Bighorn River too is another one we should probably throw out there. Um, it's big Eastern Montana River, and of course, also dam controlled. Um, one sort of thing I would like to add though is, um, you know, these sorts of migrations are happen for a, more than just drought. Um, in high water, high runoff, we also see this um, when freestone rivers become, you know, essentially unfishable. Um, you'll see anglers and of course guides and outfitters move to dam controlled rivers where the flows are managed and they're going to be fishable, uh, year round and certainly during high water too. So, uh, this isn't just a drought driven phenomenon, but, um, it is happening during drought. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard not to notice all the four license plates, um, along the Missouri river in those high runoff years, um, guides still taking clients out on the Missouri, um, when some of those Western Montana rivers are all chalked with muddy water. Mm -hmm. Um, so this study obviously puts some numbers to what, you know, we've all seen anecdotally, uh, the researchers are saying that so far this has been successful. Um, but what happens when they start adding climate projections and tying that to, you know, the economic uh, function of these rivers. So this is where, this is where we're, I think we really get to the meat of the study, this sort of, um, you know, angler pressure stuff is, is things I think we've sort of already known about. Um, but we also know with, with various, um, very, you know, concrete, uh, temperature thresholds that they make these closures at, um, uh, what that, what that can ultimately mean is this is sort of where we think trout can live based on the habitat. And it another thing we should mention too, is that, um, according to the study, you know, one in, uh, or it's like 10 times the number of anglers that come in are coming for, to trout fish in rivers, um, compared to, you know, going to reservoirs or something other like that. So, um, we know they're coming here for trout. Um, we should also add that. So what they did is they took uh, climate projections on, and what they, um, uh, were, were basically looking at was how many river miles are going to shrink that will still, that are currently sort of considered trout habitat. How, how much shrink shrinkage are we going to see on that in the future? Um, what they concluded is that 17% of those 3,100 miles, um, will exceed temperature thresholds by 2040, um, and then 35% by 2080. So based on that, they said, um, spending is predicted to decline in 65% of all the river sections they surveyed by 2040 and 76 by 2080. Um, and they sort of narrowed that down a little bit further with, um, the Yellowstone, Madison, Big Hole and Bitter Rivers having the largest potential for changes in spending. Um, to put that into a dollar figure, what they said is it's about $200 million, um, uh, in 2017 dollars, which obviously with the inflation, which w would be adjusted in the future. But, um, yeah, that, that would be 
a potential $200 million hit if um, there wasn't more adaptations or efforts to, um, I guess, sustain fisheries. And this is, this is not just, um, I mean, I just want to make it clear to, to folks that are listening. We're talking about, you know, these dollars from the fishing industry make it into a lot of different pockets. We're not just talking about the state's income from selling fishing licenses. We're talking about um, lodging. We're talking about food and beer next to the river. We're talking about fly shops, boat rentals, guides, gas stations. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. So they put a value of $750 million annually. Um, you know, the greater outdoor recreation economy is obviously several times that. Um, but yeah, no, that's my understanding. Certainly you're talking gear and all the amenities, you're talking gas, you're talking food and lodging, um, all being considered as part of this. So yeah, you're definitely not talking about just how many fishing licenses the state's selling. This is a, a, a more broad look at the economy. Right, right. And, you know, you know, that $200 million hit is a hit to, you know, people's livelihoods that make their money off of um, these rivers and these fish. It's, it's easy. And for sometimes for us, when we, especially when we have numbers to think about this thing economically, but I mean, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the cultural importance of fishing and, you know, sort of lifestyle here certainly is, is fishing plays a big role in that and people's happiness and, you know, family get togethers and things based on, you know, in relationships and friends, friendships based on around fishing. So, I mean, you can't, you can't just look at this economically, although this, that's what this study does, but I think we're, we'd be uh, remiss not to mention sort of, you know, thinking outside of that too. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, it's certainly, obviously this study is, is tailored in its scope. Um, it's just looking at the economic effect of climate change on trout fisheries. Um, but it definitely poses a lot of questions about, um, how fishing is a way of life, uh, for a lot of people in Montana and how climate change is going to change that way of life for those people. Um, so you listed off some pretty stark numbers, uh, for us to all think about, uh, what did the researchers have by way of um, suggestions about future adaptations? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's where we, it's a natural place for us to go with this. So um, the study, you know, it looked at both behavioral and conservation type solutions um, on the behavior end. Uh, the researchers, you know, looked at things like, you know, continuing to shift, uh, to available river stretches. Um, they also looked at, you know, possibly shifting seasons for, you know, fishing a little bit, which, you know, I think we've seen some of that into shoulder seasons. So more fishing during the fall and spring when it's cooler out um, and, and colder water and maybe more water. Um, the other thing, you know, trout aren't the only species of fish out there. There certainly are fish that are more adaptable to warmer water. And, you know, could there be more fishing available for different species uh you know one thing i did want to talk about though, a little bit um you have this idea of shifting seasons and we say well okay you know can we just shift to the fall and winter and maybe our peak season for fishing is may and june instead of july and august um 
I talked to David Brooks with Montana Trout Unlimited, and he pointed out something that I hadn't really thought about um, when I first started thinking about this. But I mean, you know, rainbow trout, what they they spawn they spawn in the spring, and then you're talking brown trout um, in the fall. So shifting seasons into chief spawning times isn't maybe the most desirable solution to all this. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to do that without having more negative consequences on the fisheries. Um, there's some other things that they looked at too, but um, that was one thing I did want to point out was just that, you know, something we hear about a lot, you know, you got to watch, watch out for reds where fish are, are spawning. And, you know, that's a, if you're, if you're going to really say, okay, summer isn't going to be a peak season on some of these rivers anymore, then that's something you're going to have to take under consideration. Um, so both Brooks and, and, you know, the study's authors, I think one thing that everybody agrees on, um, there should be continued conservation efforts really to improve fisheries for fish. Um, so, you know, we've seen projects and we report on them a lot about, you know, trying to connect, um, to cold water tributaries for spawning habitat or to get more water in the stream, um, reconnecting floodplains. So there's more of a natural system. Um, and then, you know, water conservation, um, and in-stream flow, um, you know, how do you go after that? And, and, you know, there's a way there's, there's different ways you can go after trying to keep more water in the river. Um, that would be a whole nother podcast if we even wanted to broach that, but I mean, that, that's something that, um, you know, the state and, and conservation groups and, you know, water users are, are going to have to think about, um, you know, where are the priorities at, you know, and I don't think it's for us to say that the priority needs to be fish over, for example, municipal water. Um, but you know, what, what, what are the priorities going to be going forward? So that that's, that's sort of where, um, I ended on the study with the story we wrote here a, a bit ago and, and, you know, that, those were sort of my big takeaways. Right. Well, Hey, thanks Tom for, um, digging into that study and digesting it for everybody. Um, some some pretty important um, conclusions uh, that researchers came to, especially for people, like we said, who um, think of fishing as a way of life. Um, yeah. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks, Tom. Montana Untamed is a podcast from the newsrooms of Lee Enterprises' Montana newspapers. Visit any of our websites or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.